Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. And today I'm in conversation with Vicky Baczynski. Vicky works in one of our most specialised and challenging education settings as principal of Canterbury Vale School at Lakemba. Some of my colleagues uh, here at the department visited Vicky's school and came back and said to me, you've got to talk to Vicky on the Every Student podcast. So here we are today. Canterbury Vale is a school for secondary students with behaviour or emotional disorders. Now, Vicky started off as a preschool teacher and then veered into special education, and she's absolutely passionate about this work and her students. Now, Vicky, welcome to the Every Student podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about your career progression in a minute. But first of all, paint a picture for us of Canterbury Vale School. What do we find when we visit there? Well, thanks for having me, first of all, Mark. It's an honour to be here. Um, the picture of Canterbury Vale School is a really welcoming, um, comfortable setting for students that have experienced challenging behaviours, as you said, or emotional disorders, to come to a school where they feel supported, where they're encouraged to learn, where there is an expectation for behaviour and education. Um, but it's a place where students, for many of our students, that for the first time in their schooling career that they can be successful. So it's a very welcoming environment. And as I said, as you walk in, it's landscaped, it's beautifully well looked after because I'm a big believer that if you're going somewhere every day, then it needs to be an endearing place to go. So it's full of very interesting and challenging kids so it's, and it's personalities. it's a high, high school, 7 it, through 12? Yep, 7 till 12. And we how many students you've got? 28 students. We're originally only um, 21 students, uh, but a couple of years ago, we felt the need to go to years 11 and 12 because mm -hmm. we were finding with the... Um, changing of the school certificate and the leaving age going up to 17, many of our kids weren't able to reintegrate back to their home schools, so we uh, applied to go to stage six. So some of our students stay on to do years 11 and 12 or transition to work. Um, but it's a place where you see, um, you know, lots of different things happening each and every day, but you also see very passionate teachers and you see students that once they've started engaging in our program that their behaviours change and really trying to engage in learning. Now, in the main, students don't do the full six years at the school. How long would a student be there for? Okay, well the profile is 12 months, so it's a reintegrating program yeah. so we try and gradually reintegrate them back to their home school and the profile, as I said, is 12 months, but we work flexibly. If a student isn't ready to go back into that time frame, you know, we want them to set them up for as much success as we can so we might extend it um, for a term or, or a couple of terms but then there's also some of the students especially in the emotional disorder cohort that find it very difficult to return to mainstream and so so we offer different programs for those students as well. So, um, you, you know, kids are presenting with different levels of complexity, different mm -hmm. kinds of complexity. Talk a little bit about uh, what we see with, with students who with behavioural issues and emotional disturbances. Okay, well, with the behaviour, well, you know, it's interesting because sometimes, you know, the, the label of either behaviour disorder or emotional disturbance has crosses over quite a bit. Yeah. But predominantly, um, the students that come to our school have... Uh, present with aggressive violent behaviour, um, that they're oppositional, they're non-compliant in school, they've had lots of histories of suspensions over and over again. Um, and this can sometimes, in most 
cases go right back to primary school. So they have a lot of trouble self-regulating. They have a lot of trouble showing empathy for either themselves, their parents or their teachers. And they're sometimes very selfish, so want their needs met straight away. So these are the kids that are consistently getting suspended through the system um, because the, the schools have to impose consequences for them. But they're also the kids that, you know, schools have tried everything humanly possible mm. and that where that final really intensive intervention, it's not just about coming for an hour or so here or there and talking, it's about a really intensive intervention to change their behaviour. So that, that's that's the behavioural issues. Talk mm. a little bit about the emotional. Okay, so yes, as I said, with the emotional disturbance class, we're getting a lot of students that um, are presenting with anxiety, um, with suicidal ideations, um, very internalising behaviours, and that are just, uh, you know, too... I suppose, um, you know, fearful in big mainstream settings and so that they function much better in a smaller setting with a smaller classroom where they can feel comfortable. Are there issues with bringing together kids? I appreciate there'll be some crossover, but bringing together kids who have behaviourally complex and kids who have emotional challenges, including anxiety. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And um, that was a bit of a... fear of mine when I was asked to take a, an ED class, so to speak. But in saying that, the students that I take um, fit the ED banner, but they're also um, expressing anxiety and aggression. So when we look at um, what we call access and request forms for placement into our school, I tend to not take the real internalised ones. I take the, the students that are experiencing emotional dis- difficulties and, and anxiety and how they present is usually with some violence and aggression as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and there are other settings for kids that are, you know, more suicidal, that are more internalising as well. So we're very good at fitting the students to the environment. But yes, it is. And we, we have a, a different sort of uh, classroom setting and how we work with the ED kids is very different to how we work with the BD kids. You still teach the core curriculum. Though, absolutely, right? absolutely. When I first started the school in 2006, as a, a very naive first-time principal, I thought I didn't know what I was really doing to start with and we enrolled in distance education, thinking that that would be the way for these kids to access the curriculum. But I found that that just wasn't appropriate for these students. You know, getting pages and pages of work was just quite frustrating for them and for us as well because I sort of thought that we needed to develop those teaching skills as well with our staff. So we do do the um, the curriculum. However, in saying that, we obviously can't in a year with these students who are integrating back to their mainstreams um, settings and, you know, have had a long history of suspensions they're below many of them are below stage average so we have to start looking at the basics as well but we do do the core curriculum and we choose the outcomes and contents and units that are the most uh, worthwhile for those students more functional um, parts of the curriculum one of the things just describing you know these young people's learning experiences you know they haven't been happy at school and they haven't flourished at school Mm -hmm. And so now they come to a more specialist setting. It's a different kind of school. How do you deal with their mindset when they arrive to help them think through that this might be a change for them in a more successful setting than, than all the other schools they've been to before? Oh, look, I just think we have that down pat. It starts on their first ever visit to the school where they see a really beautiful place mm. because I really preach to them that look at this purpose-built, wonderful setting for you. You know, you, you've made really bad decisions and, you know, engaged really poorly in schools, but yet the Department of Education still believes in you and we've built this beautiful setting for you. You're worth 
worth it. So that's the, one of the first things that we discuss at enrolment. And the second thing is that I say, I picked you to come here. I want you to be here. I picked you. I looked at your, your records. I looked at the information about you. And I believe that we can help you here. So right from the word go, they know that it's an opportunity and not a punishment. We really stress that, that, you know, you're not being sent to Canterbury Vale as a punishment for your behaviour. You're sent to Canterbury Vale as an opportunity to change. So right from the word go, the relationship building is starting from the moment that they walk into into the setting. And I think that's really important. And that's the same with, uh, you know, any teacher that comes in contact with that student, even on the first day when they're even just for a visit. A teacher will go out of their way to say hello, to introduce themselves and, you know, hope, say to them, I hope you get to come here because this is an awesome yeah. place to be. So it's, com- it's comfortable that way. And I think that's really important for the parents to hear that too, because I think, you know, some parents, you know, they will either say, oh, no, my student doesn't need to be in a behaviour setting. And, you know, that terminology, a behaviour school in itself, mm. you know, has some connotations for parents and for students. But once they see that very welcoming and look what we can do and that affirmation that you will be doing core curriculum, it's not, you know, purely a welfare setting, but we are educators. And I'm a big believer that education changes students' lives regardless of what situation that they're in. And, and one of the things you do, I, I understand, is structure the learning so kids are experiencing success in a way that they may never have experienced success Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we're obviously basic testing to start with placement of the students into classroom is very important. We don't have, you know, a straight year seven class, eight class, nine class. They are mixed, um, but they're based on ability so that they can get comfortable knowing that, you know, it's okay in this setting to say, I need help. Small numbers, good relationships with teachers allow these students to feel comfortable in saying, can you please help me? Whereas in mainstream, you know, they might be in a classroom with 24 other kids and, you know, especially year nine boys don't want to put their hands up or don't want to say, I can't do this. Whereas we develop an environment where they're comfortable in saying help. And in fact, sometimes that's the biggest problem because all of the kids in the class then want help. Um, They're confident in saying it. And I think that's really, really important. One of the things um, that, you know, that that poor behaviour in school is often seeking uh, attention to, and mm-hmm. to stand out mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a cl- crowded classroom. How do you go about rewarding positive behaviour? Okay, so we have, um, and it's really funny, and um, that, you know, when I first started this school, I, I was thinking, how am I going to reward these, um, you know, kids that for, for years and years have been acting out, that they're violent, they've been suspended, they've been aggressive, some of them have police records. What am I going to give them that's going to be meaningful to them, apart from an education? Because that's what we always talk about. The biggest thing about your change in behaviour is that you are going to get an education and that's going to open doors for you. But we started a system of teaching certificates and they're just little bits of, of cardboard. Then when we see students students um, acting safely, following instructions, cooperating with, with others and staying on task, they receive tally points. The tally points equal teaching certificates and a progression. We have um, teaching certificates, bronze, silver, gold, and then we have principals uh, awards. And um, it's amazing that these, you know, sometimes very tough, very out there kids 
melt and smile and shake your hand and thank you when you give them a teaching certificate. And once a term, we have a principal's award ceremony where we invite all of the, the parents. We also invite, you know, anyone that's involved with the students can, can be counsellors, external counsellors. You know, we have police officers come, we have JJ officers come and we celebrate the success of the students. It's a formal assembly. The students run the assembly. So we still keep those school-based things in place so that the students still know that they are part of a regular school just to small school so they showcase the work that they're doing and they receive the awards and it's just amazing that these kids are are so happy with these certificates it's wonderful hearing you you know in a sense report on the strategies in place and the great work you're doing but it's a complex setting absolutely and these are really complex demanding kids Mm -hmm. and uh some have traumatic backgrounds and mm-hmm. still are surrounded by trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and so I imagine it's a pretty tough setting for teachers. To Look, it is. It's a very tough, and I, and I won't deny that. And we can have days where everything runs smoothly yeah. and it's absolutely beautiful. And then we have other days where it's just, you know, you, you, you know, think, what the hell am I doing in this um, situation? Yeah. My staff, um, and I think the beauty of our school is that we are very well with systems and procedures and risk assessments. My staff all wear emergency duress buttons. Um, so that says to them straight away that you're not alone. You're in a classroom. If there's a problem, press the buttons. We are there immediately. And it is generally an immediate response from myself, executive, or any teacher that's off class. So they know that they're backed up all the time. There are also phones in every classroom. So, you know, once we get through the our, the systems for behaviour, they can ring if they need assistance there. Um, we we, I'm very um, lucky. I always say to anyone that I meet that I'm the luckiest principal because I have staff that believe in these students and that are passionate about helping these kids change. If you don't have that passion, you can't work in these environments. So how do you choose them? I mean, when, when you're selecting staff, what are you looking for in a potential staff member that gives you confidence that they will be able to flourish in this setting but they'll be resilient enough mm. for this setting? Well, look, you know... I've, all, I've been very fortunate in the 13 years that I've been principal there that I start them as casuals first to try them out because it's not a setting for everyone. It's definitely not. And, you know, um, lots of teachers retrain into special education, but special education is such a huge spectrum as well. You know, my type of school is a very different type of school than a special education setting with kids with disabilities and physical disabilities. Um, the first thing that has to be is passion, I have to see that there's passion there. I also have to see that they like kids. Mm. I think, you know, I'm sorry, but I think that's one of the most important things there. Um, They can't take things personally and they can't hold a grudge. So because they are in an environment where you may get abused, and and it happens, we get called some dreadful names, we get threatened, Um, sometimes our families get threatened, but because of our systems and the way we operate, they know, I think that most of my staff, and in the 13 years that I've been there, all of the staff know that there will all always be a consequence for that behaviour. They will understand that it's not personal and that the student is acting out for a reason. They know that they're supported by executives so that we can impose a consequence and when the consequence is finished, they, the students come back and they're welcomed back. They don't hold grudges. But so, so I want yep. to talk about your behaviour management yep. uh, program in a minute and what, what, in a sense, other schools could learn from that. Mm-hmm. But that pressure on the staff, mm-hmm. h- how do you make sure they don't get... And how do you make sure you don't just get, you know, burnt out by this or just ground down by that pressure uh, at the end of a busy day or an overwhelming day? I mean, what, what, what are you doing 
to kind of take the pressure out. Okay, we debrief every afternoon. Regardless of whether there's been a critical incident or not, every afternoon is an opportunity to de- debrief. So what does that look like? How does okay, that work? so we all come to the table. We, uh, the students finish at 2.30. At 3 o'clock we all come to our staff room table um, and I, I just simply sit down and say, are there any debriefing issues today? And that can open up a can of worms. And it can and open, usually most parts, it says, you know, I had a really good day. Um, or, wow, that was really difficult. Um, you know, when so-and-so went off, you know, um, I understand that the student got suspended and we talk about those sorts of things. But we also talk about, you know, what support the teachers need. And look, you know, it's it's really interesting to say that But for the 13 years, um, you know, and I haven't had a lot of staff change over because most of the teachers that have come here want to stay um, and I think it's because they see the results in the kids they know they're supported they know that we have really good systems in place to protect their safety and the safety of others and they know that we're, there's really good systems in place for their mental well-being as well you know if, if it's a particularly bad day you know and a teacher is I can, you know, we have a system, um, a school-based system, so I can actually uh, read what's going on in classrooms. So the teachers, the aides, the SLSOs are reporting what kids are doing in the classroom. So I can actually tap in to see if one particular student is really starting to escalate. So in that case, I will withdraw them for a conversation then so it doesn't get to that stage. So staff know that I'm watching in the in the. Um, in the office, but they use the system and our system, and which I know we'll talk about shortly, is the Making Choices Framework. Yeah. They see that as a really supportive system of them. So at the end of the day, when we talk about, it, we always finish on a laugh. I don't think in 13 years we've ever um, left the school grounds without laughing about some of the things. And look, some of the things are horrific yeah. that we've had. Yeah. But I feel it's really important that when they leave the school grounds, that we need to. I'm a big believer in a balanced life. Um, I don't, you know, want my staff to be at school school for hours and hours afterwards because the the not the pressure on them, but the commitment to these type of students is is full on from the moment the students arrive to the moment that they leave. Yeah. It's very active supervision. Yeah. You've got to see and you've got to hear everything. Yeah. So I believe that, you know, we don't we don't have to stay and do things for hours and hours and we support them through that. So consistency mm. around behaviour management's a hallmark of what Absolutely. you do. So tell us about that making choices framework yep. you refer to and how does that work? And again, um, you know, when I started the school 2006, 13 years ago, I, you know, um, I wondered how can we change students' behaviour? How can we stop these kids from being the type of students that they are in there so that they can be successful in the mainstream? And my assistant principal, um, Dave Hobson, and I, who, you know, Dave Hobson is now the principal of Cook School, so another behaviour setting, um, we came up with what we call the Making Choices Framework Um, because we believe that, you know, it's not rocket science. We cannot make students behavior change we can support them through a change process but you know we don't have any magic wands to say you know you're going to be a better student now so we had to devise a way for students to start taking ownership of their behavior recognizing the purpose of behavior as you saw you know talk about you know kids wanting to act out show off etc and then changing their behavior so we came up with the making choices framework and when I explain it to students and parents or teachers or deputies from um, home schools we talk about 
teaching the kids to realise that their behaviour belongs to them. Because in so many cases, the, the kids want to blame the teachers, they want to blame the other kids, they want to blame their parents, they want to blame computer, you know, computer glitches, all these sorts of things. So I say that you know, in order to change a kid's behaviour, it starts with me. As the, the leader of the school, I have to ensure that um, the education that they're being provided with is meaningful and engaging. I also have to, it starts with me by having the right teachers, people that want to teach these kids that are passionate. So that's where it starts. Then I always say, well, my teachers and staff are universally trained. So they have a knowledge of how kids learn. They have common sense. They're adults. And so... That's the next stage down. So when a student goes into class and they're not doing the, the right thing, and it can range from walking around the classroom, you know, it could be, you know, trying to destroy property or it just could be simply refusing to do any work, then teachers have to do what they're trained to do, teach, try and engage, try and convince. But if for, you know, if all of those things fail, then we go into our formal making choices framework and it's a visual in every classroom and the students' names are beside the making choices framework in every classroom. And so the teacher will just simply say, you know, Tom, chance to think. And they will put that student's name beside the visual of chance to think, but they will move away from the student. And that's the important thing because we want students to think about what they're doing. And then after a few minutes, if they're still not doing the right thing, they will say, Tom, think again, make a choice. So again, we're saying to that student, you need to think about it and you need to decide what you're going to do. And then the next phase is uh, to reflection. So they'll say, Tom, you need to go to reflection. And in every classroom, there is a reflection desk and a reflection log. So they've got to sit there and there's some, you know, um, uh, prompts, I suppose, in the reflection desk about what you were doing, what responsibilities weren't you um, following, and what was the purpose of your behaviour. And at that stage, they can sort of see that it could be about trying to be the class clown, getting attention, trying to take power away from the teachers. And that's a really big one in, in any school. You know, the kids want to be in control. Um, work avoidance, etc. If they fill out the reflection sheet, they put their hand up and a teacher or a school learning support officer will come and talk to them about it there and then in the classroom and they will then go to class. If they refuse to do the reflection or they don't do it um, properly, then it's a working it out with the principal and that's the next visual, working it out with the principal. Um, phones in every classroom, the teacher will just ring and say, Tom needs a working it out. And so myself or the assistant principal will go over, um, we'll get the student, we'll ask them to bring the reflection sheet over and we'll always, first of all, base it around education. We'll say, what subject are you in and why isn't that important for you? You know, what are your goals? And we'll also sometimes tap it back, you know, if they want to be a, a carpenter, well, you, if you're in maths and you're acting out, you know, we talk about the importance of education for them and their goals. And then we will say, did the teacher give you a chance to think? and they have to say yes. Did you get think again, make a change? What were you thinking about at that time? So we're constantly trying to get them to talk about what they're doing. Um, and then we work it out. And so um, I say to them, well, the teachers want you in that classroom. By giving you a chance to think, think again and reflect, they're saying, we really want you in this classroom. Don't leave. Start thinking about your behaviour, which is very important because for many of these kids, the first instance of inappropriate behaviour they're sent out. So it's good for them to know that they want them in the classroom and the terminology is really important. We don't use warning one, warning two, we don't use time out. We use it because we say that every problem has a solution and we can work it out. Do you, do you think we're good enough with this in regular school settings? 
Um, I think there are a lot of teachers that are very good with it, yep. but there are some that aren't. And unfortunately, the ones that aren't, you know, set their colleagues up for difficulties as well. And that's what we talk about with the consistency across our all of our classrooms. The expectations for behaviour and the expectations for academic learning are the same in every classroom. So the student, when they move, because it is a high school, they move for period and period, they know the system in every classroom. They can't play teachers off one another, you know. In mainstream schools, sometimes they're allowed to wear their hat in some classes, sometimes they're not. And, and that just sets, I think it sets your colleagues up. So, yeah, I think there's a, a lack of consistency with, with some teachers. And, look, it's it's very difficult, you know. Mainstream schools, if you've got, you know, three or four kids that are acting up, it is very difficult when you've got, you know, 26 in or 27. Class. Yeah, definitely. But, but, but it's a great strategy that I think could be incorporated. Yeah, and, and your approach that says, there's a, but here we do it this way and a mm. consistency in application of strategy mm. irrespective of the setting is one of the Absolutely. Things. And it's about systems and following systems and following procedures. I think we're very, very lucky in the department that we do have good systems and procedures and policies to support teachers, you know, and mobile phone policies and all of those sorts of things. Um you know, you have a number of students there uh, who have, you know, high emotional needs, mm-hmm. um, emotionally disturbed, if you like. Yeah, you're seeing an increase in mental health referrals. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, what's driving that? Do you think? Oh, look, it's really interesting and could open up a can of worms. Look, you know, I am. Um I think, and, and you know, it's a topic of conversation, but I think social media has a lot to um, to answer for in some respects, especially with our students. You know, we talk to the, the students about, um, you know, bullying and harassment and threatening behaviour and we label those sorts of behaviours. But unfortunately, you know, kids can go home and it can be done online where the young people don't actually get to see their responses. They don't get to see the hurt. They don't get to see how it's affecting that them. And I think, you know, we talk about putting kids over the edge sometimes by those sorts of things. Um, look, I think um, I think parents are really busy, and I know over the course of time that I've been at Canterbury Vale, there are more kids coming through with mental health um, needs, but parents sometimes are just too busy to get them the support or don't want to get them the support and, because and they've f- got the issues themselves. Yeah, and do you feel you need to invest in work? Working with families more? Yeah, absolutely. But I, you know, if, if I'm really honest, it's very difficult in our setting um, because, you know, for many of our parents, they, they love coming to the principal's award ceremony and things and celebrating that success because it's for the first time in there as a parent celebrating, which is great. But it is very difficult to engage um, parents in, in even getting kids to mental health um, referrals. We've got a great school counsellor who's got great contacts, but we do all the groundwork, but then actually getting them to get help or consistently um, you know I think sometimes parents want a quick fix um, and they don't know that it's going to take a long time so if the student goes for the first counselling session and doesn't like it or doesn't see results then they give up or they they shop around to go to different people Um, you know and lots of our parents have trauma backgrounds Mm. themselves as well or mental health illnesses themselves so yeah it is it is very difficult. as as you just suggested there, you're not operating in isolation. No. These kids have a family context. And, of course, mm-hmm. many of them have schools that they've come from mm-hmm. and will return to. Mm-hmm. So they may have a happy stint with you. They may grow a lot. Uh, but then they've got to go back to a mainstream setting. Talk about that journey. And, and I, I imagine that's a pretty challenging journey for some of these kids. Look, you know, one of our biggest challenges sometimes is for the students to want to go back to their mainstream settings because for the first time in their lives they're being successful at schools, they're happy at school, they're learning and they're comfortable, their self-esteem is building. But 
in saying that, two reasons. We, we operate an integrating program and we do try and get as many kids back as we possibly can because it allows for other kids to have the opportunity of our intervention. But I'm also a believer that students belong in their local schools, in their local community, so that they can, you know, walk home from school, pardon me, with their friends, etc. Um, so, but reintegrating the students is a challenge. And it's a challenge because... Um, For many of the teachers that have dealt with these students, they've got a long history where they're the ones that have been on the receiving end of horrible, abusive behaviour. But again, um, I also have to remind teachers that they're kids and we're adults and that it's not personal and that we can't hold grudges. But I think, and we're working more and more towards supporting mainstream school teachers to help these students when they come back. Because our school is based on relationships, consistency and consequences. So these kids work really, really well within boundaries. They know that this behaviour, both positive and negative, will lead to this. So they need it needs to be really well supported when they do go back to their mainstream settings. And unfortunately, if they get put with a teacher that's not driven by that sort of belief, then it does fall apart. And then because it falls apart, then we get sort of sceptics saying an integration model doesn't work. Yeah. An integration model work can be very successful if mainstream schools want it to work and support it by putting the right teachers following you know, their school procedures because that's what it is. It's working within your guidelines and your boundaries and all schools have procedures in place. But it's also got to be a bit, um, I sort of say to executive of mainstream schools, you know, pick your teachers for these kids. You know, pick those ones that you know will give them a chance and not just think that their past has to be their future. And, and you know, so I, I take from that that some kids will have struggled when they've gone back in a mainstream setting, but you'll You'll have some great success stories as well, right? Absolutely. Look, you know, um, going from, you know, we've had students finish university with degrees. We've got, um, you know, an ex-student that runs his own transport business. We've got plumbers. We've got carpenters. Um, We've got kids that have tried to go back to finish the HSC but have bombed out. Um, And they're the, you know, the the real, well, I don't call them the real success stories. They're the success stories. But we've also got, um, you know, students that they're not perfect back in the mainstream, but they're a darn side better than what they were before. And that's where you sort of think that as there's a really supportive schools or if their school wants them to come back completely cured, so to speak, or perfect, then that's not realistic you know so as with you know I just love that um, you know some schools are happy that these students that you know used to climb on roofs are coming to school every day they're not climbing on roofs they might be truanting a period but that's a fantastic result compared to climbing on roofs every day so that change needs to be supported no matter how big it is Um, but again I will not send a student back if I don't think it's going to be successful when supported Vicky, we're just about out of time, but, you know, one final question, and, and that is you, you're so passionate about this work, you bring such expertise and insight in this work, but you didn't train in this work. You know, you're, a, you, you're an early childhood education teacher. Your first degree was about, you know, educating you know, naught to eight-year-olds. How did you end up here? Um, well, it's interesting. I was always going to be an English history 
teacher, high school teacher, but when, in year 11 I got an English teacher that I just didn't connect with. And so I changed from um, English history to early childhood and, um, and loved it, absolutely loved um, being a preschool teacher and I started off at um, a Jack and Jill Preschool in Bexley. And I was, and, but I've, again, I was on the waiting list for a department position. So I was a preschool teacher for three years and then I became the director of the preschool and that's when I got my um, permanency with the department and I was appointed to Hilltop Road Public School out in Marylands. Um, and realistically, I could only teach kindy uh, year one and year two because of my training. Um, and everything was great. Um, I always seemed to be, you know, as my years progressed, I always seemed to be topped up with so-called naughty boys in my class. So always had a, a real um, love of helping those challenging kids. Um, but then in those days, um, we didn't get as great as it Advice. Um, women, in particular, didn't get as good advice as advice, and I actually um, resigned when I fell pregnant, and um, thinking that life was going to be rosy, and um, it absolutely was. Um, but then, um, unfortunately, got divorced and became a single uh, mum, and had to go back to work, and so went back as a casual. So I lost my permanency. So that was a. a bit of a problem but the principal was very supportive in giving me work all the time and so for about it must have been about six or six years I think I was a casual at Hilltop Road Primary School but I always had classes I wasn't a bits and pieces casual so you know they used my strengths for that and then I ended up in the primary school sector and um, one uh, year after the Christmas holidays I came back and yet another person had been appointed to Hilltop Road and I suppose I had a, a bit of a dummy spit and I just said that's it I'm not doing this anymore um, and the principal there was very worried about me, knowing that I had three children and, you know, a single parent. Um, but I just said, look, you know, I believe that, you know, I'll do anything to support my kids, but I'm not going to, you know, have people appointed around me when I'm, I'm such a good, good educator. So they, you know, he actually graciously said, look, I want you to see Eeps and um, I'll pay you for two weeks to really think about this sort of stuff. And I did. And But um, I think it was on the third day that I was off, I got a phone call from a gentleman called Pat Kelly, who was the deputy principal of um, Roland Hassel School. And he said to me, I hear you're a casual that needs a, likes a challenge. And to this day, Pat and I are still friends and he still won't tell me how he got my name. But um, so I went along to Roland Hassel School in Parramatta um, and they put me on what was called the peak class, the 17 and 18 year old um, students. And I had no idea what I was doing and they just gave me the program and in I went and that was it. I just fell in love with special ed, I suppose. And these kids were very, very challenging. And so I was working there casually for a while and then applied for a special ed cadetship. So I went back to uni. I was really lucky to get the um, cadetship, which meant that I went to uni for a year and got paid um, a casual rate of pay for the year and retrained into special ed. And then I was, um, you know, bonded to the department, so to speak, yep. for three years. And uh, best, it, look, it's, you know, having that dummy spit was, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> the, the best, best thing that ever happened to me, even though I always loved all my teaching. But then I got appointed to um, Chifley, Dunhevard Campus, Chifley College, Dunhevard Campus out at Mount Druitt. Um, so I into the support unit there so I was a teacher in the support unit out there and that was just fantastic the the Mount Druitt um, community was just an awesome place to work well and you know I, I think if I look at our strategic plan two lines stand out one is that every student is known valued and cared for mm -hmm. and that's clearly the place 
uh, of every student at Canterbury Vale and mm. the work that you're doing, but also that commitment to improvement. Mm. You know, that you're not just there to mind their time, but no. you're committed to improve their learning, but improve their life opportunities and the mastery you give them mm, over absolutely. themselves and their environment. So I really think you embody that every student commitment and you embody uh, you know, what we've tried to do with this Every Student podcast, and that is to get to know great educators working in different settings around uh, New South Wales and around Australia. And, and I have that strong sense that even though you work in very specialist settings, the, the lessons that you can draw from your work at Canary Vale apply at schools all around Australia. Mm-hmm. So thanks so much for your time today. We've learned so much and I really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again and I'll catch you next time.